You're listening to the Physio Matters podcast in association with the MACP, and this is session 10. Welcome back to the Physio Matters podcast for session 10, which is our second podcast in association with the MACP. Huge thanks to your emails, reviews and tweets following session 9 with Dr. Richard Bennett. For our landmark 10th episode, our computer geeks have done the stats and have confirmed that we've now gone beyond a direct reach of 25,000 listeners. 85 plus percent of you are UK clinicians. 20% of you listen to each episode more than once, yet only a measly 4% of you are on Twitter. So get online, you certainly won't be disappointed, we'd love to hear from you. Today's podcast guest is Anne Gates, who is a clinical pharmacist by trade and well-known internationally in sport and exercise medicine for being an advocate of exercise promotion through her innovative company, Exercise Works. It's generally accepted in MSK and sports physio that exercise-based rehab is our fundamental treatment modality. So following on from session nine with Dr. Richard Bennett, I imagine that your patients are now raring to go or in an improved state of readiness for exercise promotion. Be sure to tune in at the end as I reveal our plans for future episodes, as well as a plug for a very special physio and fan of the show who would appreciate your support, I'm sure. So I'll see you at the other side of the interview. And just to give our guitarist a bit of a rest, here's some music that Anne provided for us. Hi Anne, would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners? Hi, good morning. Um, my name's Anne Gates and I'm the founder and director of Exercise Works. And uh, I'm a passionate global advocate for physical activity for every consult and using exercise medicine as an important uh, treatment paradigm uh, with patients. Fantastic. And I'm sorry to immediately stereotype, but a few pharmacists that I've met are passionate advocates of exercise as medicine and are instead more passionate about, shall we say, traditional medicine. So what is the clinical and personal journey that led you to this? Obviously, as a a clinical pharmacist, I'd spent 10 years working in hospitals and 10 years working in primary care and then moved into a much more strategic uh, role within the NHS. And obviously being trained as a pharmacist in pharmacology and physiology and how uh, medicines actually work on the body, I actually see exercise as a medicine uh, and as a traditional medicine. Um, So, uh, although obviously I'm an advocate of um, safe and effective medicine taking, um, in conjunction with uh, exercise medicine for patients, I think that that almost completes the um, medical um, toolkit that we have available uh, to to treat patients effectively. Fantastic. And I suppose that was the the wrong wording for me. The most traditional medicine of all is is exercise. Um, But do you feel it is a fair stereotype for me to make? Do you feel that the the pharmaceutical and and medical industry generally does under-promote exercise and over-promotes more tablet-based forms, for example? Uh, Yes, no, I would agree with that. I think that we've, we've, we've yet to... Um, discover the benefits of exercise in comparison with medicines. Uh, I mean, there was a brilliant uh, study done by NASI in the uh, BMJ, uh, which was one of the first um, systematic reviews of the cost-effectiveness of medicines versus exercise. And I think that that, you know, that shocked a lot of people because obviously you're never going to get a head-to-head trial with a drug company and exercise uh, at the same time. And you know, so, so that our whole healthcare system isn't actually uh, designed at the moment and I say at the moment, to see exercise as an equal medicine with, uh, you know, say a tablet form or, or, or medicine, uh, medicines and drugs in general. But actually, um, it's this whole new emerging science because once we start getting clinicians thinking of exercise, thinking of the pharmacological effects of exercise and why something works and, you know, along the lines with physiotherapists, why certain exercises work best with certain diseases and how that promotes health, then I think that we can establish exercise medicine as um, not only an adjunct but a comparable uh, partner in, in, the, in the prevention and treatment of disease. Absolutely. And um, what is it in terms of your story or your timeline, shall we say, that brought you to this point? 
Um, I think that's interesting. Mm, I'm <laughs> I sure. mean, obviously, I'm passionate about uh, pharmacy, and it's ranged from me being a Saturday girl at the age of 13, working in a pharmacy and not even realising that I was going to grow up and be a pharmacist. Right. Uh, um, but also having had a very successful clinical career um, over nearly 20 years in the NHS and being taught by some amazing people at the Derby Royals Hospital. Um, but also moving into that much more um, service delivery, uh, patient-focused approach to, to medical care. And identifying that that was something that was very important to me, which resulted in me uh, becoming the head of health strategy for Trent Strategic Health Authority, which was a huge career development for me, uh, but had culminated in a lot of um, opportunities to, you know, expand my knowledge, expand my experiences, uh, you know, in in previous jobs. And I then went to become a director of strategic planning. And actually, you know, planning is what I really enjoy doing, planning services, you know, planning to to improve health services. Um, And I did that in a mental health trust. And and actually, I I didn't like that type of work. And it caused me to have some time out and a career break to reflect on really where where I wanted to go. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to take that in Antigua. Lovely. Um, with my family. And um, I learned to sail and windsurf. And obviously, you know, it was, it, was, it was very sunny. And I came back incredibly healthful, but healthy. But um, there was one key incident um, that happened when I saw a group of kids playing um, basketball out there. And, you know, despite the poverty in that area... Um, they were able to share fun exercise with their friends and family. And it made me realise how important exercise was as a medicine, not only personally, but to, to, to other populations as well. And so I came back and immediately identified that there was a huge gap within health service delivery around exercise medicine. Um, which led me to then train as a personal trainer, chronic disease exercise um, specialist, and then also as a cardiac rehab instructor. So, you know, that journey has been, you know, quite interesting uh, and, uh, and has brought me to, you know, the fact that now, you know, we, we, we um, launched our company in 2011. And since then, you know, I now work with architects and designers and, you know, other exercise specialists and sports and exercise doctors to ensure that that service, that quality of giving safe and effective exercise advice is best served for patients. So as the world, and particularly Britain, descends into what we could call an inactivity crisis, consistently rising rates of chronic illnesses, what do you think it'll take for, for society to turn a corner? I think we're at crisis point. I mean, many people don't realise that physical inactivity is the world's fourth biggest cause of death. And I think that with rising obesity rates and the rising burden of chronic diseases, um, we've, we've, we're at epidemic levels. And this actually has occurred without much medical input. You know, it's caught many nations and many communities unawares of the situation. Um, And I think that, um, you know, you asked what will it take? I think it takes action. I think we've really got to take stock of the the critical point of which we've reached within the health service system and to, to identify a very clear strategic course of action around physical activity and the promotion of better lifestyle um, habits under the auspices of making every contact count. Making every contact count to me is the framework to enable every healthcare professional to to be all hands on deck and to provide patients with safe and effective exercise advice, to signpost them to local opportunities within their communities, but also to support patients as we would do a medicine. You know, I always say, you know, if somebody was asthmatic, they'd have an asthma inhaler and we'd support them. So if you look at inactivity just for this you know point of conversation Mm. as an asthma inhaler we wouldn't give them the inhaler and expect them not to know how to use it or support them and monitor them on that and what's worse is i mean with exercise referral we wouldn't take that inhaler away after just 12 weeks of treatment so why do we assume that exercise medicine is a quick fix and and because it isn't Mm -hmm. and we need to be focusing our, you know, our expertise on on a sustainable future 
for um, making every contact count with physical activity. And if we think about that historically, how do you feel or why do you think that that's come about? I think that came through a lot of changes. Um, without getting too political, I think the, the, the NHS has gone through tremendous upheavals. And I think that, that um, the networks, are, the strategic networks were damaged as a result of that, but also the, um, people's capacity to deliver something extra that is just as life-saving as, you know, say, uh, you know, cardiology stenting, um, it, is, it was, was missed, you know, and they were focusing on much more interventional uh, approaches to healthcare. And I think that, you know, when you've got a crisis, you have to sit back and say, why have we got this crisis? How, who can co contribute best to resolving the crisis? And what resources and personnel do we need to help us to achieve better quality patient care? And so I think in hindsight, those key decisions and, and solution opportunities were missed and have been missed over the last 10 years. I, I've certainly seen in the last three years a rapid appreciation, um, you know, at public health levels right down to individual clinician levels of um, the understanding that exercise, you know, is a very, very powerful pharmacotherapeutic agent. And I think that that message is, is the turning of the corner. I think that's where we're able to empower our healthcare workforce to, to, to achieve that sustainable um, improvement in healthcare. Brilliant. And myself, Choose Health as a company, the podcast sponsors, which are the MACP, and of course then our governing body, the CSP, all huge advocates of making every contact count. But what would you say makes an effective brief intervention? I think a brief intervention to me is um, short advice, but it's, it, it's embraced by what I like to call a teachable moment. Uh, and a teachable moment um, was a phrase introduced with it by the All-Party Parliamentary Commission on Physical Activity. And I really like this phrase of teachable moments because, to me, it embraces that concordance you have with a patient. So their involvement within their treatment decisions, but also that knowledge sharing, that knowledge transfer within a consult, to me, is absolutely critical as part of brief advice. So for me, making every contact count an effective um, intervention is providing the patient with the, the environment to talk about physical activity, but also to be very confident in your own knowledge as a clinician and identify which exercise programs might be suitable for a patient, um, not only in prevention but treatment, and to be able to signpost them to those opportunities. But more pivotally, to be able to say to a patient, this is a medicine that I'll be monitoring, just as I would monitor the, the, your medicines, you, you, the drugs that you're taking, I'll be monitoring the effects of exercise as part of your treatment. So linking it into blood pressure monitoring, lipid levels, uh, you know, and, and, not, and things like falls, you know, falls prevention and work and things like that. So I think to me that is that, that, that nugget of um, excellence in patient care is providing teachable moments around physical activity. And educating and empowering the clinician is where, where you feel that starts. Well, we process mapped the whole, the whole process of exercise medicine from uh, the patient um, uh, feeling a symptom uh, to going to see their doctor or accessing hospital services. And so we feel that that, that whole concept of um, interventions is a whole systems approach so for example you know exercise medicine needs to be part of every care pathway and just to give some some sort of context to that comment um, you know out of the two million cancer survivors in the United Kingdom 1.6 million do not reach the recommended 150 minutes a week uh, of, re of regular exercise now to me that's a huge um, that's a huge problem. Uh, clinically, it's a disaster because we know that exercise is incredibly effective both in the, in the prevention and treatment uh, uh, of cancer care patients, but also in some cases, such as bowel cancer, it significantly reduces the risk of reoccurrence. So I think that we've got to look at our brief interventions not only in an individual context uh, and understand what environments are barriers and solutions to that, but also in the wider strategic context 
context of, you know, for example, are our communities fit for purpose for delivering physical activity opportunities for all? And so it becomes broader and it does, although we won't get into the politics, it does become a more sort of council-led and, and, and broader than just us clinicians. I think it's, you know, I think it's council-led. I think it's community-led. I'm a great advocate of people power mm-hmm. uh, and of patient power. And I think that that's something that we've underestimated in the in the physical activity uh, advocacy movement and you know mobilizing health healthcare staff to join that movement and to enable us to see movement is medicine is incredibly important and i think that goes across all aspects you know councils hospitals education or you know planning of roads and active transport you know it's something that as health professionals we should be hugely influential uh, around and just to I mean, we're staying on every contact counting but if i was to just put a different sort of spin on it for years it was thought to be logical that informing smokers of the risk associated with the habit had inspired change almost through shock and this fell dramatically and famously short. So might some of us be making the same mistake by nagging people to exercise and trying to use scary statistics once again? To me, it's, a, it's about clinical practice. Um, I don't think there's anything scary that, scarier than um, not offering exercise medicine, which is a proven, you know, it, it's a proven evidence-based um, uh, therapy uh, to patients uh, and so to me I sort of turn that on its head and say you know if I was a cancer patient I'd like to know that the evidence for running versus walking for example in breast cancer care is stronger you know I'd want to be maximizing my best my best uh, 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 opportunities and options and so I think that this is a critical part of our duties within that consultation to advise patients on that support and and to have an open conversation a dialogue with the patients on on what physical activity it, you know imparts to to their disease and their you know their 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 health outcomes so um you know i i don't think it's about nagging i mean you know if somebody takes an antibiotic and you tell them to say you know take it one three times a day that isn't nagging that's you using your expert advice to make sure the patient takes the medicine as safely and as effectively as possible. And I think we, we need to use that same paradigm around exercise as medicine. And in terms of the, the best ways in which we can instigate change in routine, because I quite agree with you, however, it is, it is easier to motivate someone to take a tablet once a day than it is for them to exercise for the recommended amount of time in a typical week so where do we where do you feel you sit in terms of the best way in which we can instigate that i think motivation and interviewing is very important but i think that you know we mustn't let that take up huge amounts of time within the consult we should be effective clinicians we should know the evidence we should know our patients well and we should be able to resonate our advice with um what they're already thinking um you know around maybe walking just that little bit more maybe fitting in exercise as part of their day taking the taking the stairs more often parking the car you know further away when they're on their journeys and i think that um you know the whole science has been built up about motivational interviewing which is very important but i think with practice clinicians are are very skilled at getting patients to you know go for surgery or you know go for radiotherapy and so i don't think we need to you know this is nice it's almost busting the myth you know i don't think we need to sort of cloak this in you know in motivational interviewing science i think we need to be effective as clinicians and be and confident and be able to advise patients on what is the best course of treatment for them I firmly believe, looking at all the evidence, and, and you know, it's, I, I immerse myself in a lot of the evidence um, that's available around exercise as medicine, and I'm quite convinced that um, there's a lot more information to come out around the role of inflammation and how exercise modulates um, inflammation in a whole variety of the, uh, the major causes of diseases and, and, uh, and death. And I think that um, one of the opportunities that we've got at the moment is to identify the skills needed to make those brief interventions as effective as possible. And so it's about using some of the knowledge, some of our skills, 
um, very effectively within, you know, anything ranging from 45 seconds to th- to three minutes, which is, you know, a useful part of a dialogue. And, and to me, it, you know, this is life-saving medicine that could be practised within a brief intervention. You know, your ability to help that patient to a more active life may well result in reducing their cardiovascular risks, uh, stroke risks and risks of type 2 diabetes. I think that we need to recognise, I think the skill that health professionals need to identify is actually to, to say to themselves, I have got the skills and knowledge to be able to do this. And if I haven't, then to learn those skills very quickly, to be able to deliver that world-class, you know, evidence-based advice to patients. Of course. And our podcast listeners and, of course, the MACP members are are predominantly musculoskeletal physios. Uh, Although we, of course, encounter a large proportion of the general population who therefore have the comorbidities that we've discussed, what are the key points to push in terms of musculoskeletal health and where exercise sits within that? Well, I think that, you know, we we underestimate that, that, that patients have a whole variety of comorbidities and so it's very easy just to treat the patient's problem at that particular point but actually um, what we try and advocate um, is, is is actually you know that lifelong medicine you know enabling to put you know uh, life in those years and add years to life I think is, is, is a phrase and so if somebody's got osteoarthritis or in an outpatient appointment or you know receiving therapy or uh, or treatment for pain you know, we know that exercise is critical medicine in those is in those important circumstances, and I think that every health professional does have a public health role uh, to promote and protect uh, the patient's health. So, for musculoskeletal physiotherapists, you know, I would love to see them uh, making every contact count for physical activity, but lifelong sustained physical activity, and also to start challenging. Um, some of those uh, concepts around um, around some of the diseases. I mean, I was having an interesting conversation um, actually with my son, who's a student physiotherapist, around the high incidence of frozen shoulder with type two diabetes. Um, you know, and I think we all ought to talk more multidisciplinary about some of those things because my take on this was, well, is that is that um, a symptom of type 2 diabetes you know is it something that um, because we know that diabetes uh, affects musculoskeletal health particularly bone health mm. but also you know why is that and so I started asking questions in my own right um, of well you know it wouldn't it be an interesting study if rather than treating the, social, the, the frozen shoulder we aggressively treated the type 2 diabetes would that affect the resolution of frozen shoulder in that particular patient group. You know, maybe doing lower leg exercises aggressively as part of an exercise treatment. Um, You know, and that has lots of other advantages because it's distraction therapy. It it still maintains people's cardiovascular um, uh, health and everything else. So I think that musculoskeletal uh, physiotherapists and other allied health professionals, you know, we need to start shaking this paradigm up the paradigm of inactivity and actually what's causing these inflammatory diseases. Okay, and if I've, I know you work quite closely with the BJSM, who are also big advocates of exercises as, as the fundamental medicine. And in terms of current supporting evidence, what do you consider the key concepts for us to, to consider? And again, more sticking with MSK for the moment. I think it's essential that we use all the sort of treatment forms and modalities that we have around exercise and enable patients to to use that as a balanced exercise program, whatever their musculoskeletal problem is, um, because, it, you know, it is important to maintain, you know, and sustain cardiovascular health. So they need to be doing heart healthy, heart healthy exercise um, for 150 minutes a week. But they also need to include twice weekly strength building, which is incredibly important, not only for musculoskeletal health, but also to maintain balance uh, and, and, and also to actually treat some diseases where muscle loss may be a, a problem, but also to include, you know, uh, range of movement, flexibility, and also balance exercises as well. And so I think that that, that um, musculoskeletal physiotherapists and other allied health professionals have a unique opportunity to do um, a health check you know, recognise that exercise is a vital sign. 
um, in their patients as part of the consult and also to add value to the environment of an outpatient's clinic or um, uh, you know a, a, a physiotherapy consult in in recognizing that patients do need support on on exercise as a medicine um, outside of what they're probably being treated for you know it's always useful to know well actually you know I do need to be walking more uh, and I can you know incorporate walking more I know it's good for me Um, and it's you know those unique opportunities for an MSK physiotherapist to to say well you know did you know that there's a local walking group nearby or um, you know you know are there opportunities in your local community that you can access because they they understand the patient circumstances the best and are in a unique opportunity to add considerable value um, to the whole to the whole concept of health delivery and that that brings me really nicely onto the fact that there are so many types of exercise for patients and although we want to try and promote the the, the general there are um, there are often associated healthcare modalities which are more popular such as pilates yoga the home exercise programs that physios often get and they're associated with general health and, and fitness and yet there was there are some forms of exercise more associated with maybe danger or risk climbing skiing and even recently cycling has been uh, run through the mill and so it's a question i'm sure you often get asked but what type of exercise would you say is best I think the most important thing is to tap into what patients have already done. So things that they might have done in the past that they've enjoyed, things that they'd like to try, um, things that might be quite adventurous for them as well. You know, that often is a fresh approach to... to, a patient to to get a, a clinician support into trying something different in a supported you know uh, and safe environment and so i think that that's that's the most important thing is 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 to personalize the the exercise prescription to not only the patient's disease and i think that that is quite important um so for example for parkinson's disease you know knowing that the walking you know is incredibly important and as you know hugely evidence-based uh, in improving a whole range of, uh, of health outcomes of parkinson's disease patients is incredibly important but 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 linking into to some of the fun aspects i think that you've got to you've got to make exercise fun and again using the parkinson's patient as a case study you know in the united states they use non-combat boxing as an extremely effective uh, fun way of engaging parkinson's disease patients in regular activity and uh, the company is called rocksteady boxing but they use um, aerobic strength training balance and coordination work Uh, as part of non-combat boxing now to me that's really fun and actually for a lot of parkinson's patients you know it's a very social movement it gets them interacting with others it gets that automatic expert patient support group already in a and it's in an environment that's not necessarily clinical and i think that that has therapeutic benefits in its own right and so tailoring the intervention to the to the condition and to the patient needs to be as we said before community centered so in msk we could say that um finding local groups for people with osteoarthritis of the lower limb for example would be would be beneficial but as well as us trying to find them is there a place for us as health professionals to sort of try and promote them and instigate them becoming more prevalent yes i think there's huge opportunities for saying well, you know, it's like walk with a dog. You know, why not have walk with a physio? Um, you know, the walk with a dog campaign um, is really great because it's about doctors getting patients walking uh, as part of walking groups. And I think that there's huge opportunities within uh, um, physiotherapists to to expand on those opportunities and to make those network links with other professionals like exercise instructors, like, you know, like cardiac and pulmonary rehab uh, uh, um, uh, groups and and various other opportunities. So it's almost to to know and be able to signpost and refer uh, patients as well to get the best support for them. It might be that home exercise programmes are actually suitable and in my experience you know patients do best with them as long as the monitoring uh, and that sort of um, sustained support is provided by a health professional because it's sometimes um and i can admit this from my own personal point of view it is sometimes 
not necessarily easier but safer for us to stay in a room and the patients come to us and to not necessarily expand beyond that a full diary is one that doesn't allow it allow you the time sometimes to go and advocate a more community movement uh, or groups and things so how can we best um, motivate and empower our clinicians that might be listening today to try and go out and be able to branch out what what rewards are out there for that i think the rewards I mean, you know, personally speaking, I can only reflect on what motivates me. And the rewards are in better patient care, better quality patient care, better engagement, um, accessing a wider diverse of, of practice, of clinical practice. And, you know, looking at inclusivity, you know, ensuring that, you, you know, the patients that just come to clinic are really the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I always talk about, you know, changing that 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 sort of paradigm of of, of, of iceberg drift into, you know, uh, uh, you know, a tropical paradise of where, clin- you know, our clinical expertise is far ranging and far reaching. And so I think that, you know, we need to we need to be careful in our practice of being gender specific, um, you know, looking at what age sensitivities there are around certain exercise groups particularly around ethnicities and uh, and inclusion Uh, for example I ran a local um, exercise class for a group of Asian women in Derby and you know it was incredibly challenging they had no understanding or access to physical activities within their within their daily life and yet you know they were the you know huge risks of uh, of physical inactivity Uh, and so I think it's about um uh, you know, I, without sounding, you know, going out to the patients. But I think, you know, with, with technology and social media and, um, you know, other forms of communicating with patients and using other, other people's skills, uh, you know, technicians uh, and exercise instructors and the whole remit of allied health professionals, we can become much more effective um, in our motivation and in our message that we're giving out. You know, I always say that the, the, the best patient is the patient that turns up and says, doctor, I need some exercise advice. What can you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I fear, my fear is that uh, although we all recognise that prevention and reduction is the best form of treatment and to try and get in there early, my, my concern is that musculoskeletal physios to some degree are they're all they're already too late by the time a patient comes to them we, we haven't got the the time or the chance to reduce or prevent problems apart from in those that come to us so if we can engage and, and get out there in the community more to try and almost prevent people coming through the door in the first place that is only going to be a, a beneficial thing but i have to admit um on my own level that some patients are more seem more receptive to exercise advice than others and i, I feel even i might be better at motivating and encouraging certain in groups of patients and so my question would be which groups present particular challenges either in your experience or from research findings and how might we best overcome these obstacles um i think it's not about the groups that are difficult i think it's recognizing that you know we have got a you know tsunami of ill health and disease that is going to radically affect the health of some very clear um, groups that are predisposed to those diseases via genetics and the social determinants of health and a whole variety of other modalities as well um, and to me you know and again you know, from an inequalities perspective it's, it's actually addressing some of those some of those groups first and foremost um, within this call to action uh, as clinicians so you know uh, the you know uh, ethnic groups and uh, you know the biggest risks have already been identified in, in the fact that young women um, through uh, you know adolescent to to uh, the early 20s are at uh, you know extreme risk they don't um, access the physical activity opportunities that are available um, and though, and we need to develop physical activities that suit that particular age group and population group the most that they, you know they're one of the biggest risk areas uh, at the moment obviously care of the elderly with a burgeoning uh, elderly population we need to you know we need to um, ensure that um, uh, uh, older adults are living fulfilling lives you know are able to feel mobile uh, 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 and um, free from disability and ill health uh, to to you know to to enjoy living daily life and so there are some key things but to me um, I find it very difficult because I feel that we've got to deliver this this exercise medicine as cradle to grave 
And to me, that's the thing that resonates within the NHS is, is that every opportunity. So if you're a, a musculoskeletal physiotherapist, maybe seeing uh, a young athlete with, uh, with an injury, it's actually ensuring that them and they themselves act, act as advocates for regular physical activity that is safe and effective and uh, and that um you know or seeing an older person with osteoarthritis that that you provide them with the services that are going to achieve lifelong better health and and to me that's the key for um this this unique opportunity as clinicians you know musculoskeletal physiotherapists are experts in their field that opportunity that unique opportunity to give effective brief advice is essential in changing you know changing that paradigm of physical inactivity uh, and so for me it's it, it, it's having that concept of being cradle to grave making every concept count but actually excelling clinically in your abilities and your motivation so just as you can get a patient to go through some very you know progressive musculoskeletal exercises we need to be again progressing patients through you know a starting point of physical activity to actually becoming more physical activity to then seeing exercise as a routine part of their lives and then maybe hopefully engaging in sports and leisure activities um that are by choice not by prescription exactly yeah making the making the patient make that call themselves based on the fact that they should enjoy them and we've chosen the right thing to advocate and we've touched on it a little bit but in some circumstances funding and and we mentioned councils and the actual access to certain groups can can play a part in what is promoted in certain areas should that make a difference to what we advocate or um, should really we be just promoting things generally and not letting that stop us um, I think it's very easy to see that funding's a barrier. Public Health and Wellbeing Board have a responsibility to promote and protect uh, public health, but also to to advocate physical activity within those um, uh, f- within those communities and for you know the minor- minority groups. But but also you know we need to be very careful about what I call um, excuses, which are reasons not to exercise. And uh, we also need to be careful that we don't introduce those within the consultation as well and, um, you know, automatically put up barriers or excuses for patients not to, uh, you know, not to just, you know, step outside and just, you know, take a walk um, within their local neighbourhood. And, you know, and I think there's opportunities, um, you know, clinicians sit on lots of influential committees and, and uh, you know, local local stakeholder groups and, and a whole variety of community led services. And I think that, you know, if patients don't feel safe in a park um, and they tell you that within a consultation, then it's important that we as clinicians start to address that and start to feed back some of these barriers uh, to the funding agencies and also to try and promote access for all. I mean, I, I'm a great advocate of just clocking the block, you know, with friends and family or identifying a neighbour that might help an elderly person just take, you know, f- start with five minutes and then progress to 10 minutes of a walking programme uh, within the local community, you know, within their local neighbourhood or, or, or providing a home exercise programme where they can exercise with you know just a few cans of beans and doing some strength exercises every day uh, and looking at um, those as opportunities and not creating not not creating barriers so I think that um, you know with the funding uh, issues you know sort of parked aside I actually think we we need to be be making no excuses and helping our patients to exercise what, whatever the circumstances, whatever the environments, and actually using our clinical expertise to, to help patients break down those barriers as well. I really like the no excuses, and, uh, and although it makes me a bit tongue-tied sometimes, I'll certainly be using it. What are the common excuses that are used then and presented? I'm sure, I mean, I can come up with a few, don't get me wrong. However, what do you feel are the, are the real obvious ones that seem to be thrown at you? The biggest one is actually not, not having the time. And yet, you know, evidence is is that people sit watching TV for three hours a day and children, it's often, you know, it's often more. So it is about actually being very, very focused on 
what it is that you want out of your life. You know, a healthy life is what most people aspire to. So it's turning off the TV, you know, uh, or it's, uh, you know, I don't have, you know, I'm at work, I work long hours. It's actually, you know, saying, oh, like, you know, I don't even have a lunch hour, so I'm not able to exercise during the day and I'm only exercising at the weekend, which is, you know, like a weekend warrior. And actually, when you start to break down and set some, you know, smart goals for those patients, you realise that, they can find 30 minutes a day. And actually, finding that 30 minutes a day makes them more productive. It makes them healthier. They're less likely to have time off work through illness. Um, and so it's, you know, it's about helping them within the consult to realise that they are just executors. Um, you know, and I'd like to, to, to um, point to um, uh, your, your, your listeners to uh, a really great um, uh, video on YouTube called No Excuses. And, um, you know, this, this guy goes through all the excuses. And I won't spoil the, the storyline because you just got to watch the YouTube video for it, really. Um, but it's, it's really important because you realise that, you know, some of the excuses when you start to break them down are actually, you know, solutions to how they can exercise more, how they can access uh, better activities, be it within their everyday life, be it within work, within school, at university, uh, you know, all those opportunities do provide um, uh, opportunities to exercise. But I think also, um, you know, as health organisations and as public services, we have to help people to do that. You know, we have to contribute to active transport, improving physical activity within people's lives and in supported environments as well that they feel safe, uh, you know, so walk to school groups, um, you know, uh, uh, helping younger children to access, you know, fun active play, uh, you know, safely and effectively as part of their development is very, very important. And so, you know, keeping school facilities open for longer in the evening you know, is shown to improve physical activity by 84%. So it's about us as professionals saying, okay, we might have patient excuses. What are the excuses within our community? What are the barriers that are stopping people accessing a walk in the park or a walk with their friends and family or accessing a leisure pursuit that they, you know, they're interested in. And often there's certain types of exercise that us MSK physios will, will try to promote for someone that is, would love to go for, for plenty of long walks, but might be struggling to because we're having to pace their exercise because of pain, for example. Um, and we often then would advocate something like swimming or aerobics, and, and sometimes that can be a bit of a postcode lottery as to what's available and, to, and certainly financially that can sometimes we can, we can hit barriers. Um, it, although that is a, another excuse uh, for a patient to throw back, do you feel like there's a way in which we can best motivate that person to go and find something they can do rather than constantly looking at what they can't? Um, I think that, you know, it's about those finding the right, the right exercise. And, uh, and obviously, if, if a clinician has a high um, elderly population, then the local community, public services, should be recognising that something like aqua aerobics is an, is an essential service. You know, it's critical for promoting, um, you know, low-impact um, supported activities within, within, older ad, within older adults with um, not only osteoarthritis but rheumatoid arthritis. So, I, again, I think it's about us taking stock of what's available and, and recognising that sometimes, um, you know, that postcode lottery of, of access to services needs to be changed. And, and you know, we, we're, we're, clini we're clinicians. We have that empowerment to say, look, you know, we, we haven't got these facilities in our community. I'm a musculoskeletal physiotherapist. Why not? Because the evidence is this, this and this. And therefore, and to use that clinical influence in driving better services for patients, I think is a huge opportunity that musculoskeletal physiotherapists, you know, can, can, can start to embark on uh, and, and start to really, you know, shake up, you know, we're, phys we're, we're physios and it matters and it matters to our patients' health. We need those facilities, it, you know, within our local communities to effectively signpost patients after physio. And so we are really trying to activate a movement and it's a call to action, as I think you've mentioned. 
Yeah, I, I, I like to see... It was interesting. The British Journal of Sports Medicine editor, uh, Krim Khan, um, I had a conversation with him about three years ago. And he said, well, write a blog. You know, you're very passionate about this, write a blog. And, you know, I haven't really written. And now you can't, I, I can't stop writing. I love writing. But actually, my first blog was, was entitled A Call to Action. And I, you, I was shocked as a strategist on how complacent we've become as health professionals in fighting inactivity and obesity. And, and to me, you know, using my, you know, um, hospital experience, this was like triaging a disaster. You know, it's a call to action. It's all hands on deck. It's every health professional making every contact count around physical activity. And also raising the bar of what we are trying to achieve in terms of health outcomes and healthier lives in really radically changing our approach within the healthcare system to enable that to happen. And health professionals are qualified to do that. Um, it's within our scopes of practice, so we, we, we shouldn't use those as, a, as, a, as an excuse. Uh, and I'm aware that some do. Um, so that needs to stop. And we need to really start becoming the clinical influencers, both at a patient level, but also at a strategic level, um, to, to, to answer the call. So I doubt I'm alone, but a personal bugbear of mine is that some people, some professionals even, would play down the exercise as medicine push. Retorts such as exercise doesn't solve everything are often uh, heard. However, my opinion is that the vast majority of cases, if the appropriate time frames, variations, pacing strategies and some adjunctive methods have been applied, then things like surgery or medicalization needn't take hold. Um, I find patients often then consider themselves beyond help or beyond the help of exercise. Do you think it's fair of me to say that or do I need to get over myself a little? I think that, that um, again, it's about changing that paradigm. Um, you know, I think it's absolutely critical that um, we advise patients on the appropriate time frames and, and variations and, you know, progressing strategies uh, and, and adjuvant methods. And, and to me, that you know, the big gap that we have in clinical practice at the moment is that sometimes we actually decondition our own patients. So somebody coming with a musculoskeletal problem, say like for frozen shoulder, will obviously be in pain, but we don't promote within that three months sort of time frame of where they might get better through uh, through adaptation and, 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 and biological adaptation, um, and obviously through through th therapy and treatment. We need to recognise that we need to keep the whole body healthy, and so that they do need to be walking, they do need to be exercising for heart healthy exercise, they need to be able to be able to, you know to, to improving their fitness. And I think one of the key things, particularly with musculoskeletal health. Um, you know, is this prospect of surgery? Uh, and uh, at the moment, um, I, I'm doing some very valuable work with um, some members of the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh about this concept and the importance medically of prehabilitation, of making sure that those patients, despite whatever problem they may have, which actually through regular exercise and, you know, uh, uh, may actually go away, um, in that three months where they might be waiting for surgery, but actually we 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 help that patient to become as fit and healthy um, for that operation because all operations carry risks, and I you know cardiovascular risks, uh, infection risks, and and recovery risks, uh, and I think that we ought to be working much more closely um, with surgeons. And actually, rather than saying you know why why are we limiting the exercise. Uh, programs why aren't we sort of blasting those open and saying you know what are the exercise opportunities for this patient how can we condition the patient into their maximum health and often that might that might you know prevent the need for surgery or further you know invasive treatments but also it's a reflection on those time scales would that patient have already naturally, you know, with the, with the course of an exercise program, naturally adapted and no longer needed that interventional approach, uh, or you know, uh, with 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 other um, services, particularly hospital services. So, 
um, you know, I think exercise does solve an awful lot of things because we can't take exercise in isolation just to a musculoskeletal problem. We need to be saying, we're health professionals, how can we improve this person's health over the next three months? Not only their specific problem, but their general health. And to me, that's where the, the real wins are for patients because I think when you can engage patients in those kind of conversations and those treatment paradigms, that's where you've made the most difference to patient care. Knowing what we know um, biologically and physiologically, it is almost embarrassing that people would be sat on a waiting list waiting for an operation, having failed conservative treatment and failed exercise. And so I completely agree with you there. At best, we would reduce the need for that operation. At worst, you've simply made that patient less vulnerable to post-operative risk. And there's an awful lot of evidence, and I always come back to the evidence because as a, as a pharmacist by trade, you know, no one will be able to unpick a paper quite like you, I'm sure. So you know full well that the, the post-operative risks are incredibly reduced by cardiovascular fitness. One of the most prevalent risk factors i understand yeah i mean people people forget that deep vein thrombosis um post-surgery kills more people than breast cancer road traffic accidents and aids combined so you know we don't want to be rushing into surgery for our patients we need to be exhausting um in the clinical sense all the exercise options and support um, that we can put into patients for them to, to improve pain control, to improve some of their symptoms, and in some cases to actually, you know, exclude the need for, for, for invasive surgery. And I think that also research is very, very important, but we've got to get the research right. You know, we've got to have head-to-head -head trials with you know, a proper exercise prescription, not just, you know, 20 minutes twice a week, because that doesn't even fulfil the chief medical officer's uh, recommendations on physical activity. And we need to, to use the research to identify gaps in the knowledge and, 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 you know, searching questions as to, you know, are injections better compared with this type of exercise? Or, you know, would, would, you know, does the research show that actually the patient would have naturally got better within, within, three, you know, within three months? And so I think as clinicians, we have to challenge ourselves on that paradigm. And I think that, that also we have to be very open and honest with ourselves um, in, um, you know, in, in, in accepting that actually the best patient consult is is the one where the patient doesn't come back and see you because you've got them better you've got them better effectively um uh, you know and and and, and you've, you've helped them move on with their life and i think that we need to get much more research that shows that um and improving um you know patients health outcomes not only in the short term but also in the long term as well and i think you know as a pharmacist i'm i'm very very critical of some studies that don't have long-term follow-up um, because we don't know, you know, the benefits um, uh, or, 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 or the harms to patients unless we do the research. And so that's got to drive it. But I suppose my challenge to researchers out there is, you know, please get it right. You know, make sure that patients are doing the four types of exercise with any, any research um, uh, uh, proposal, you know, I, I, you know, I don't feel that there should be any research funded in the UK that doesn't fulfil the CMO guidelines. And in fact, you know, um, only only a few months ago, an international paper was produced um, by some very very eminent authors that didn't even fulfil um, the Australian physical activity guidelines. And do you feel like it is improving, or is as as research, particularly in exercise sensors becomes more prevalent is it are people cutting corners more or is it becoming a tight-knit more robust entity um i think exercise medicine needs to come into its own i think it needs to establish a very clear um network of researchers and those researchers need to be working together uh, much more collaboratively i think that we need to be much more um gatherers of the of the information 
Um, and, and but also to be very critical of the studies and use that to inform future studies. I think at the moment there's a there's not enough learning about why that particular research question didn't work. And I think that we need to be learning just as much from that as learning from the, the, the trials that are, you know, really unequivocal and, and really very clear on, on changing practice. I think my major concerns in the research gaps are actually implementation uh, um, and, and, and actually translating research into, into best practice. And I think that's where the huge hurdle is. And I don't think there's enough um, research being done around exercise medicine in that area. And I don't think it's being coordinated strategically. I think that's a great point. It's certainly not a field in which the evidence is lacking. It's just that the movement to actually disseminate that and act on it and, and push it through with patients is something that we need to be acting on right now. The more, more research we can do into it, the better. The better the trials, of course. But it doesn't, we don't need to sit around and wait for the research to catch up. We can be advocating exercise on the back of the evidence that's already there. I think the evidence is, is totally clear. You know, I mean, as a, as a pharmacist, as a clinician, as an exercise specialist, there is nothing stronger than the evidence for exercise medicine there is nothing stronger than the the evidence that we need to act on 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 the research that's available uh, you know and that knowledge but i also think that every clinician you know our prime duty is to is is to promote and protect health in our patients and and physical activity resonates with that so much that you know there should be no excuse for us not effectively uh, translating exercise medicine into practice. Many thanks for your time today, Anne. Is there anywhere or anything you'd like to direct our listeners to, or maybe even just a few shameless plugs for you at the end of the podcast? Thank you very much. Um, I've really enjoyed being interviewed, so thank you. Um, but I'd also like to give a big shout out to Exercise Works. We we aim to deliver excellence in um, providing safe and effective exercise advice and training health professionals to do that. Um, but I'd also uh, like to give a big shout out to the British Journal of Sports Medicine, particularly P- uh, Professor Karim Khan, uh, an excellent um, continuing professional development site called Motivate to Move by Dr Brian Johnson, who's a Welsh GP. Uh, to the British Association of Sports and Exercise Medicine, BASEM, uh, Nottingham University, particularly Professor Lowe uh, and Professor Ian Hall, who are helping uh, develop a very exciting undergraduate curriculum for exercises medicine, uh, and specifically to uh, Mr Ian Ritchie of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, who has been absolutely pivotal um, on a professional level of um, engaging uh, physical activity with um, uh, discussions with some of the Royal Colleges, but also uh, on a personal level, really being a great advocate for physical activity, every consult. Fantastic. And we can make links to these uh, resources available to our subscribers through our show notes newsletter. uh, And I will be directing listeners after our discussion to how to get to those. So again, thank you for your time. And thank you very much, Jack. It's been a real pleasure. So that was session 10. Huge thanks to Anne for her time and for sharing so much of her expertise for free on podcasts such as this, blogs such as the BJSM online and on Twitter. She's at Exercise Works. All the links and resources discussed as well as reference to hot off the press exercise medicine literature will be available on the show notes newsletter. Sign up now and stockpile some reading for the rainy and snowy days that are bound to be coming soon. And as if by accident, the MACP conference, 25th of October, is on exercise, rehabilitation and patient engagement. So have a look online, macpweb.org, to sign up. It'll be a great event. Our first year of broadcasting is coming to a close, and we intend on finishing with a flourish. In the pipeline, we have podcasts discussing the management of whiplash, the use of kinesio tape, and a very special episode for the third MACP podcast. You can also look forward to a new format for a couple of episodes, where I intend on opening our mics to more than one guest an episode, which shall help us to debate conflicting opinions. I'm pretty nervous already. Now, finally, but most importantly, I'd like to make you all aware of a very special physio who I had the pleasure of meeting recently, albeit briefly. 
UK MSK physio Damien Thacker is currently 32 marathons into a 40 in 40 marathon challenge. That's 40 marathons in under 40 weeks. Now, I've been blown away by the support and following that our podcasts have received. And so if you like what we're promoting and want to show some appreciation, please visit Damien's donation page on which he's raising money for Sheffield Children's Hospital's Burns Unit, who cared for his son two years ago. Now, the link isn't a particularly trendy and easy one, but it's mydonate.bt.com forward slash fundraisers forward slash 40 in 40. However, I will be posting links to his Twitter feed, his blog, as well as his fundraising page on Twitter, on the show notes newsletter, and as much as I can. So if you are interested in donating, then simply search Damien Thacker and 40 Marathons in 40 Weeks, and you'll soon find him through Google and through our media. Now, I've only met Damien once and only for five minutes. He didn't suggest this and knows nothing about it. But since physiotherapy is developing quite the online community, let's see if we can show some community spirit and raise money for a great bloke and a great cause. He's one of our own after all. Anyway, before I start crying, here's a double slice of cheese from me and Anne to see us out. See you next time. You've been listening to Physio Matters Podcast, discussing physio matters because... Physio matters. And I've been chatting to Anne Gates from Exercise Works, discussing how exercise works because exercise works.